with our Assembly Public Accounts Committee. Um, we have quorum, so we will begin our work. Um, members, can I just advise that mobile phones must be set to airplane mode or turned off. It is not sufficient to put mobiles on silent mode as they continue to interfere with the Assembly's recording. The session is being recorded in video and audio and can be accessed via online streaming either on the Assembly website or Democracy Live. Agenda item one, then, is apologies. I've received apologies from Mr Irwin. Any others? Mr McHugh. Okay. Apologies to Mr McHugh also. Okay. Um, and then the minutes. Members are on pages 7 to 15 of your pack. Or, and those are the minutes of the meeting of the 1st of July 2021. Um, and are members content that I sign them as being accurate? Agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. Okay, then. Agenda item three is the declaration of members' interests. Each meeting members are required to register relevant financial or other interests in the register of members' interests. Does any member have any interest in which to declare this afternoon? No. Agenda item four, then, matters arising. Have we any matters arising from the minutes? No. Good. Agenda item five, correspondence at pages 19 to 88 of your pack. Um, and uh, this afternoon, can I formally welcome Mr Donnelly, Ms O'Hagan from the Audit Office, and Kyle as well, who's joining us remotely. You're all very welcome. Members are re referred to correspondence dated the 29th of June 2021 via the Business Office in your pack, pages 19 to 87. A copy of NISRA's 2021 uh, report on the sick absence. The annual report provides details analysis of sickness absence for the staff in Northern Ireland Civil Service over the, that period uh, and that financial year, with the majority of staff uh, will have been working from home. The, the report also contains analysis of trends over the last five years and highlights the absence figures for 2020 as 9.8 days on average which is considerable to increase from 12.9 in the previous year. The absence level for 2020-21 is the lowest absence level recorded in over 22 years. However, this also cost the public purse £28 million in loss of production. Any members, any comment wish to make? No. Uh, well, it would be... Uh, it's, it's not a comment for further action for us, but it would be, I suppose, intriguing to know whether... Uh, Next CHR have drawn any conclusions from this in terms of their broader work program. Um, it was, this is one of the issues that was obviously highlighted in, in the audit office mm -hmm. report and, and ours subsequently. So, I think it's been sent to us for information. It really is for 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 other. But I think we, you know, probably could get away with asking that question. But you know, the the, the um, um, <coughs> members content that that question is asked. Yeah. I want to just repeat it there? Yeah, well, Chair, it's purely um, that we should ask as a committee whether um, the a piece of work or um, you know, any insight is being gathered into what has driven the lower uh, rates this year and whether that will feed into the broader response to um, the NIAO and PAC reports okay. and, the, and the programme of, you know, Okay. Addressing these issues. Agreed. Agreed. Well, then that members content to note. Uh, I refer to correspondence dated the 2nd of July from Councillor Paul McLean 
the Chairman of Mid Ulster Council, in your packet, pages 88, regarding Northern Audit Office Broadband Investment Report. Councillor McLean is bringing to the Committee's attention a motion regarding the broadband investment which was passed at that Council meeting in June. And I quote, in the light of recent NIO and AO report on broadband investment in the, as they say, north of Ireland, we welcome the findings of this report, a report which is strongly critical of achieving the value for money and delivering broadband provisions and to citizens, we further note the findings within the report and request that financial clawbacks due from British Telecom should be immediately redirected into broadband provision into rural areas with the poorest broadband speeds. Uh, members, this correspondence was also sent to the Economy Committee. Uh, it's purely for us to note. We would then be getting in the realms of uh, interfering in their work. So, members agreed? Agreed. agreed. <coughs> Uh, are you content that we forward the correspondence, however, to the audit office? Great. Great. Okay. Um, members, we've also received an apology from Mr. Colum Boyle, interim accounting officer, Department of Finance, regarding the response to our letter dated the 29th of June, requesting additional information on the um, MOR major capital projects. Unfortunately, this has been delayed. Are members content to note? Great. So it's literally apparently just arrived in the inbox. No. Um, that's not going to be much benefit to us. Um, okay, members, we'll, we will remain in open session uh, for our next agenda item, which is agenda item six, uh, ministerial directions, uh, at, pages nine, at page 90. Uh, and I refer to correspondence dated the 1st of July in your pack, uh, pages 90 to 91, from Mr. Dennis McMahon, the accounting officer of DERA, regarding the ministerial direction to provide short term support for the impact of COVID-19 on Loch Ness inland fishermen, uh, which did not include the submission to the Minister. A copy of this has been since provided to the Northern Ireland Audit Office. Mr McMahon has apologised um, for not providing the official advice that included his conclusions and the rationale for the recommendations. However, he has stated that some information is still redacted to remove any specific references to legal advice in line uh, with the right of legal privilege. Um, Mr Donnelly, is there anything you want to add to what I just said? Uh, no. Uh, we, we now have the, the letter with uh, a little bit of redaction on it, so I think that's probably the end of the matter, Chair. Okay. Members content to note? Uh, further, the ministerial direction referred to your correspondence from Mr Kieran Donnelly, the Comptroller and Auditor General, dated the 2nd of July, in your PAC, page 92 regarding a revised ministerial direction and DFC recognition payment for supporting people with, uh, and homelessness sector frontline staff. The ministerial direction is one that has already been considered by the committee on the recognition of payments for supporting people and homelessness frontline staff. In the initial communication of the ministerial direction, the payment to these staff was limited to a gross payment of £569 each, which had an estimated cost of £2.5 million. This payment has now been increased to £735 at a cost to the Department of £3.5 million. It has been done to ensure that the payment allows for tax and national insurance deductions. This is identical to payments made under a recognition scheme by the Minister for Health, which had also been done under ministerial direction. The relevant documents, including a sign-off by the Minister for Communities, uh, Ms Deidre Hargey, MLA, can be found at pages 93 to 95 of your pack. Do you Mr. Donnelly, again, have you any comments you want to make on that? Uh, 
Nothing to add to what you've already said, Chair. Thank you. Okay. Any member, any comment you want to make? Members contend? Okay. Members, we will remain in open session for our next agenda item, evidence session on the Sports Sustainability Fund. And can I ask broadcasting if they can bring into the meeting Ms. Tracy Maharg, the Accounting Officer and Permanent Secretary Department for Communities, Mr. Tony Murphy, Head of Sport at DFC, Ms. Antoinette McKeown, Chief Executive of Sports NI, Mr. Ian Weir, Performance Governance Manager, Sport NI, and Mr. George Lucas, Chair of Sport NI Board. Can everybody hear me okay? Okay. Okay, good afternoon, everybody, and thank you very much for taking the time to join us this afternoon. We very much appreciate it. Um, so, agenda item seven is inquiry into the Sports Sustainability Fund, which is in your pack pages 97 to 212. And as I've said, all of our uh, witnesses today are joining us remotely. And just so that you know, um, ladies and gentlemen, they, um, Mr. Donnelly. Uh, and Ms. O'Hagan are in the Senate Chamber, and Mr. Bingham from the Audit Office is joining us um, remotely, as Mr. Stevenson um, as well. So, um, <clears throat> members, I refer to papers in your pack regarding today's evidence session on the eighth report inquiry into Sports Sustainability Fund. The Northern Ireland Audit Office report, Sports Sustainability Fund, is in your pack, pages 97 to 141. Witnesses' biographies of uh, Ms. Tracy Maharg, DFC, Mr. Tony Murphy, uh, are in your pack, pages 142 to 143. Witness biography of Antoinette McKeown, page 144. Witness biography of George Lucas, page 145. Correspondence forwarded from the Committee for Communities in Relation to Sports Sustainability Fund, pages 146 to 202. Northern Ireland Audit Office Restricted Briefing Paper in your pack, pages 203 to 208, and the Northern Ireland Audit Office Suggested Questions Restricted Paper at your uh, pack, pages 209 to 212. Okay. Um, so, at this stage, members, I, I would uh, hand over to um, Ms. Maharg and Ms. McHugh to make opening comment, and then I will come to members for questions. Okay, um, Ms. Maharg, you, would you like to go first? Yes, can you hear me okay? Yeah, okay, thank you. <clears throat> yeah, good. Okay, so um, during the pandemic, the Department for Communities played a key role in the mobilization of a relief support that went far beyond our normal operating procedures, even those designed for an emergency response. And I'm proud of what has been achieved in these unique times. As part of the executive's response, my Department and its partners stepped up the challenges and delivered over 300 million in support. The NIO report has provided an insight into the rationale for the Sports Sustainability Fund, the development of the business case, the design of the scheme, and how it was administered and the outcomes. It recognizes the challenging environment in which the fund was delivered, with the sports sector indicating that the speed of response was crucial and a balance had to be struck between the money getting out, where and when it was needed and the level of due diligence undertaken. The report raises a number of matters that they note are clear in hindsight, and knowledge may in part be due to the pace at which the scheme was deployed. A key challenge was that the funding was not allocated until October and November. Undoubtedly, this late allocation presented challenges in terms of the planning, modeling, and delivery. 
The timescales also meant that the department and Spot and I were working in parallel to develop the business case while also designing the scheme as opposed to the normal linear process over a much longer period. And I recognize this has resulted in the view that the intent laid out in the business case was not fully reflected in the scheme design. However, the objectives of the scheme, as clearly articulated in the business case, were to minimize financial stress on the sports sector due to COVID and to enable clubs to plan and prepare to increase opportunities for participation following the end of restrictions. This policy intent has been achieved. If more time had been available, we'd have undertaken more comprehensive modeling to inform the scheme design and, for example, considered further the use of a cap. The scheme was not perfect. With hindsight, it could have challenged the sector more in terms of evidence need, particularly where organizations were seeking substantial sums of money. However, I welcome the CNAG's acknowledgement of the huge pressure and significant degree of urgency under which the scheme was developed, that it was successful in providing funding to a wide range of sports who were in financial need, that it sought to target support according to losses due to COVID rather than simply allocating a fixed amount, ensured significant losses incurred by sport be addressed to allow sport with huge health and societal interest to continue post-COVID. We're already working to consider how conclusions reached by the report, along with our evaluations of other scheme, can inform the lessons learned. And I'll pass on to Antoinette now, who's going to say a few words. Antoinette, can you hear us okay? Antoinette, we, we can't, can't hear. Oh, I think I, we just. Oh, sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm having some technical. Okay, we can, we, can, we can hear you now. We can hear you now. Okay, that's better. I'll just stay close to the um, screen. Um, good afternoon. Thank you, Tracy, and good afternoon, members. Um, as members will be aware, sport is a huge part of society in Northern Ireland, and it also makes a significant contribution to the local economy. For years, we have understood the value represented by the social infrastructure sports clubs. But when the pandemic struck, um, everyone saw this value. And government needed volunteers on the ground to deliver food parcels or medicines or simply checking our vulnerable people. Sports clubs were to the fore in this effort. <clears throat> Protecting that infrastructure throughout COVID, Sport and I engaged extensively with all parts of the sector to understand the challenges it had faced on the ground. This included a co-design process with governing bodies, clubs and the Northern Ireland Sports Forum to help inform the development of the Sports Sustainability Fund. We recognise some awards attracted media commentary and no doubt members will wish to examine those in depth today. Like Tracy, I welcome the CNAG's acknowledgement of the huge pressure and significant degree of urgency under which the scheme was developed. Also, that the scheme was successful in providing funding to a wide range of sports and financial need. The Northern Ireland Auditor's Report has also referenced how COVID funding schemes operated in other jurisdictions. And of course, we did consider these, but this scheme designed for sport in Northern Ireland had to be specific to the evidence need on the ground here. Sport and I will be completing the post-project evaluation of the scheme which will complement the lessons learned set out in the NIAO report. Sports organisations are certainly in a healthier position to support communities as they recover from the health and societal impacts of the pandemic. However, significant restrictions remain in place for sport. 
It is clear to us that challenges lie ahead and the resilience of our sporting sector continues to be tested. But we also see real opportunity with the right strategic support to pursue our mission of maximising the power of sport to change lives. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, at this stage, I'm going to bring in members. But can I just ask for bring members in? Um, how did the fund arrive at the position of £25 million uh, for the scheme? How did, how did you know £25 million was needed or could be spent? Um, there was um, quite a lot of engagement with the sector around this, um, including um, asking governing bodies to give us estimates of the level of financial need. Um, we had to turn that piece of work around very quickly, and we didn't get inputs from all um, governing bodies, so we uplifted it in our estimation around um, the um, about the, the quantum that would be required, and that's how the level of need was defined in the business case. Although we do acknowledge that um, the modelling uh, wasn't perfect at that stage, although it, it wasn't actually that far away from where it landed. So, so you had conversations, meetings, or whatever. The GAA, IFA, Ulster Rugby, Golfing Union of Ireland, and so on. Yes, there were meetings with a, a range of organisations or governing bodies um, throughout the process. Indeed, over a longer period of time, um, some of those governing bodies were um, coming forward in front of the committee. Some were speaking to our minister. Um, and um, when we were developing the business case, um, we asked for estimates. As, as you'll note from the NIA report, not all governing bodies gave us estimates in time to include there. So the actual amount um, that's shown um, in the estimates was as 19.7 million, but that, that was uplifted uh, to take account of um, governing bodies who hadn't come back to us. So that's what it was uplifted from 19.7 to 25 million. Okay, um, Mr. Hillage. <coughs> Thank, thanks, Chair. Um, obviously, it's, it's, it's a pretty concerning situation, has has achieved some public acknowledgement through certain media channels and various things. And uh, I know a couple of the clubs in particular, while having done nothing wrong, have have certainly uh, had advantage over others in relation to the likes of Malone and Golf Club and Crusaders Football Club, as I say, who have done nothing wrong as such. How, how does he land into the situation where this was allowed to happen, since there seem to be so many people involved in it, with the Department, Sport NI and the governing bodies, uh, when things seem to be sort of going wrong, as it were, or, or maybe not achieving what was set out? Was there any opportunity to draw back and uh, recreate the criteria and have a look at it rather than some of the fast amounts of money that was handed out where most of the general public would say it wasn't actually necessary, particularly in the golf club situation and where crusaders were actually rewarded for not playing on the pitches such and gaining that European money uh, but getting it directly from the government instead? Um, so I'm I'm very comfortable that the actual the objectives laid out for the scheme were, were achieved. Um, the the objectives that were set in the business case were to minimise the financial stress on the sports sector due to lost income as a result of COVID-19 lockdown and ongoing restrictions, so as to sustain the sector, and to enable governing bodies and clubs to plan and prepare to increase opportunities 
for participation in sport recognition community use following the end of COVID-19 restrictions. So the scheme was there to support them in terms of financial loss, but also prepare them go going forward. Um, and the way that that was done was we looked at the, uh, the evidence of net losses. Uh, we looked at it over a, a three-year period. Sport and I uh, designed a, a, a scheme whereby they looked at three years accounts, um, and then the net loss was evidence. It was a transparent process. It was consistent. I think that um, whilst the general public um, might, might have views on, on the amounts, actually, if, if I can, you know, if we could come to the, the, the actual amounts, it's not surprising in some ways that uh, for those very large clubs that they would have evidence much larger losses. Um, if we take, for example, the one that's pulled out in the media quite a lot, Royal County Down, um, Royal County Down gets a very large amount of its funding from um, incoming tourism. Um, it, during this period, it lost in the region of, of two million pounds. And uh, it was able to cut back some in terms of its uh, operating cost. Hello. <laughs> Tracy, can you hear me? We, we, we lost you whenever you mentioned. Yes, you. Yep, we lost you and you broke up and you, um, whenever you said uh, if you could perhaps go over the section again with Royal County Down about its income coming from tourism. If you could start from there because it, it broke up after that, if you don't mind. Okay, my apologies. It's yeah, not okay. your fault. So, uh, so basically, um, Royal County Down obviously is a very successful um, asset to have here in Northern Ireland. Um, it generates a significant around of, amount of tourism. Um, golf tourism alone is worth 56 million, so, um, so I understand. Um, and it couldn't furlough or, or stop paying its salaries to people because if it had stopped uh, looking after its greens, for example, even for a short period of time, um, those greens would have taken years to get back to, to normal again. Um, now, I know there was criticism around the fact that, um, that the, their actual, when they looked at the bank balance, that there was significant sums in the bank balance, but those were not, um, those were not all distributable cash. A significant amount of that, 40%, was prepaid green fees, which is in fact a liability, not an asset. Um, also, um, Royal County Down has a significant program of capital investment, uh, which it had started three years ago. Um, th th these sorts of clubs need to actually uh, make surpluses to reinvest. They are not profits in the traditional sense of the word. They are for reinvesting into the sports asset. If it hadn't continued to invest during that period, there's, there is very little doubt that at the end of, of this period, the actual um, the, 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 the grounds could have been in the condition where it could have lost its, its position. So I suppose the point being that it, these might look like large sums of money, and they are large sums of money, but actually it, it's, it isn't, you know, this, this scheme was designed to deal with the very smallest club and the very largest club, so there is quite a large distinction between those amounts, but when you actually look at um, the rationale for that and the losses uh, and, and what was done, you know, there, it, there, is, a, there is a strong rationale for that. Look, I can understand. You give us a very lengthy answer there, and I appreciate that. And, but the losses should have been related to COVID and the pandemic. We know that some of the monies paid out on those three-year losses were not related to such things and were related to more general usage, particularly in one sport where people had lost out in prize money on the pitch over the season. We were able to claim that back through another source. 
to place other clubs at disadvantage as well. So I can understand you going on there quite lengthy about the pandemic, but there was money built in to those claims that shouldn't have been there. Now, yes, on the initial criteria, anything could have went in. That's where the clubs didn't do anything wrong. But when and where did you see this going wrong, and who all was involved in trying to have an overview of it? Because it was always going to come out wrongly at the end. Well, I have no evidence that things have gone wrongly. Um, if we're talking about Crusaders here um, and the, the fact that the, the money was um, included for the European Championship, I'll pass on to Spot and I to give you the detail of that. Uh, but my understanding is that the costs of that um, would have largely, um, uh, you know, would have, would have equaled the actual amount they got in and they did look over a three year period. So I'm going to pass on to Antoinette to give you a more detailed response on that, if that's okay. Oh, fine. Yep, yep. Um, thank you, Tracy. Um, uh, yes, just to um, just to acknowledge that um, Crusaders um, Football Club was actually treated consistently with every other football club. We did look at awards over the we looked at accounts over the, the preceding three years, which was um, how we were defining net losses, and um, it did include the um, it did include the prize money for um, um, for access to the Euros. However, um, the Northern Ireland Audit Office report does actually recognise that um, there was a, there's a lot of expenditure that a football club um, has to um, pay out um, to get their um, team to the to Euros, including chartered flights, for example, and a whole range of other, um, a whole range of other expenses. We recognise that our programme was designed at pace in a highly um, dynamic environment and we wanted to remove as much subjectivity as possible um, and um, factoring in alongside our um, key principle, which is um, value for money, we, we looked at transparency, integrity and consistency and that consistency was really important. We also recognise that had we had time for modelling, um, then we would have been able to have factored in or indeed factored out some of the idiosyncrasies of individual sports, such as this prize money. But we simply didn't have time, as Tracy alluded to earlier, the, um, the, the time scale from when we got the money, which was late in the year, and when, when we actually had to deliver the scheme. Um, and we recognised that. Okay, thank you, Lisa. Right. I appreciate your, your comments on that. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Muir. Um, thank you very much, Chair, and I thank uh, uh, everyone for joining us. I think joining remotely can be a challenge, but we'll, we'll try to work um, through that. Um, <clears throat> I think it's clear it's important during this session we have clear answers, and there's no attempt at smoke and mirrors around these issues because there's serious public concern in relation to this scheme, and it's important that we, as the Public Accounts Committee and as Assembly members, are able to bring transparency and scrutiny in relation to the issues. Um, I have a number of questions. Some of them are sort of more closed and some are more open. The first one was, um, it's very clear from this scheme that the, there was underwriting of profits. Uh, in other schemes, there clearly wasn't. There was just uh, very much a focus upon dealing with hardship and, uh, and losses which were incurred as a result of COVID-19. But in this scheme, there was underwriting of profits, and that is what the serious concern is in relation to that. Did the Northern Ireland Executive, were they informed at any point that this scheme would be the underwriting of profits? Uh, 
So um, you've alluded to a, a very large uh, other schemes being different, and they were different. Um, even within my department, we ran very many different schemes, lived um, in different ways, um, co-design with a, a range of different sectors. Um, you, you spoke about the underwriting profits, but actually in not-for-profit not organizations, um, yeah, we would talk about surpluses, operating surpluses uh, and not-profits, and actually surpluses um, are used to reinvest in the sport. So, you know, where there, where there was, um, where, where the net losses are, are led to the, some of the surpluses being recouped, that, 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 that surplus was re is reinvested in the sport, and I believe in, in will actually meet the criteria of actually enabling the sport to continue and return to, um, to pre-COVID situation. I want to be very clear here, all of the losses that we looked at were a result of COVID. No, no doubt about that. So if we look at, uh, it was either things like um, loss of ticketing, uh, loss of uh, green fees, match days, loss of hospitality. So it, it was all things that related to COVID uh, that were taken into account. Okay, but see in relation to this scheme, the scheme that the department brought forward in relation to charities was different. What was the rationale for the difference between the two schemes? In terms of underwriting, what you describe as surpluses, <coughs> but others would most commonly understand as profit. Yeah. So, so the, there was obviously the department ran many schemes, charity schemes, art schemes, schemes for homelessness, schemes for lots of different things, and each scheme was developed differently according to the needs at, at the time. Um, in, in the, the, there was some press comment that um, charities who had subsidies were not eligible for the fund. That is that isn't actually correct. Um, uh, indeed, um, in the second part of the scheme, um, so that the charities were able to, if they if they used their subsidies, they were able to recoup up to three months of subsidies uh, from the scheme. I, I think that's, uh, that. All the schemes were delivered at a different time during the year. There was different estimations. So let me take the charity scheme, for example. Uh, at one stage, there was estimates that we would need 150 million pounds for charities, and we were given 15.9 million. So we had to actually uh, design a scheme which would go as far as possible um, to actually to meet as many char charities as possible. Um, so, for example, you know there was a cap set on charities. But I just I want to emphasise the fact that. Um, no two schemes are exactly the same, um, and that is because different schemes, as I say, were delivered in different times. We had different information. We worked with different delivery partners, and there were different factors we had to take into account. Yeah, it's just I think we need to be clear why we're having this inquiry and why this discussion is occurring today. There was many other organisations and businesses and individuals experiencing real hardship. And the response from government departments, including your own in some instances, was you have reserves and you should utilise those reserves. That's the purpose of those reserves. And only when there's, uh, you're facing imminent risk of closure should there be support given, uh, which would, would not be underwriting surpluses from previous years. But yet in this scheme, it seems to be that that rule book was cast aside and there was no cap, for example, in relation to, you have outlined, three months reserves. And, and the underwriting of profits occurred, and significant payments went out. And the original objectives of this scheme, as it's been played out, do not seem to have been able to have been focused upon. It seemed to have been a divergence from that. And you know, I want to ask a question for both yourself and also from Sport NI. Was there at no point a, a sense check to realise that there was a divergence from what the original objectives of the scheme was? Because anyone who was processing a payment 
uh, of you know, some significant sizes, as we have seen, should have been able to see that there's something seriously wrong with this scheme. Uh, I'll start off and I'll pass on to Antoinette, if that's okay. Um, I, just, I just want to be clear that um, sport plays a massive part, you know, in terms of society. So it's not just about sustaining... Sports concept of economic community or social. Uh, therefore, it, it was, you know, it, whilst, whilst obviously one of the outcomes we wanted was that um, that that those those organisations which were generally on on the verge of closing were sustained, but we also wanted to sustain the sector, so it was ready to to actually play its part um, moving forward. Um, I pass on to Antoinette and Spot and I on 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 your on the other comment. I would say. Um, Whilst, whilst some of the sums were quite large sums, and, and you know, actually, when when we when we look at it now, and I would acknowledge by, uh, right at the front end that um, if I were designing the scheme, if I were designing, if we were designing the scheme again, we would have built in a stronger statement of need around the um, around the, the scheme, which which we didn't, and that's acknowledged in in the report. Um, but the, the 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 fact the money that was paid against those services was is an investment in sport. It's an investment in infrastructure. It's an investment in actually making sure sport can play its role uh, in society moving forward. But I'll pass on to Antoinette. Yeah. Thank you, Tracy, um, for that. Um, I mean, basically, Sport and I took the two key objectives as, a, as set out in, in the business case um, very clearly um, to minimise the financial stress in the sports sector due to lost income as a result of COVID-19 lockdown and ongoing restrictions so as to sustain the sector. The second objective was to enable governing bodies and clubs to plan and prepare to increase opportunities for participation in sport, recreation and community use following the end of the COVID restrictions. So essentially the fund sought to ensure clubs were sustained and ready to open and support a return to sport. Um, the £25 million secured from the executive was to sustain the sports sector, and that was, as I said earlier, a very diverse sector from grassroots sport through to professional teams. Um, and that was in recognition of the vital role that the sector would play in that um, recovery. Um, I hear what um, you're saying, Mr Muir, in respect of the imminent risk of closure. This was not a scheme objective um, and, and not used for assessment. What, um, what we considered in terms of imminent risk of closure it was a, a related to a potential outcome if the funding was not um, provided. Um, so the business case considered the provision of, of grant funding um, at that time to make sure that clubs were um, no, no worse off, no better off to, to sustain that um, COVID, COVID recovery. And that's what we um, that's what we actually focused on. Uh, I thank you for that. And look, I fully support sport. I'm a member of North Down Athletic Club and North Down Cycling Club, so it's something I value greatly. But there is real public concern around this scheme, and there has to be an acknowledgement of that concern and the reasons for that, and that the significant sums were paid out, which people feel was um, is difficult. To justify when other organisations were looking for support and weren't given such high levels of support and under different criteria, and was there not anyone within Sport NI, within the department, within government bodies, or sports organisations that raised concerns as this scheme was development, developing before the payments were made that there's something wrong here and we need to reevaluate it? Was no 
warnings raised between any of these bodies and that there was something wrong here? Um, just, I suppose what I, what I would say, uh, Mr. Muir, is that um, again, in a fast-moving um, environment, we took we we decided to take subjectivity out of it. And I think the other issue that you're talking about in terms of divergence is that we looked at two questions side by side. Um, one was um, we were we were have been criticised in the media for not um, taking clubs at imminent risk of closure. Um, and at the same time, um, the NIA report refers to no checks being um, um, being made on payment to clubs, which may close in any case. So that, that was the dilemma. Those two sitting side by side, um, I suppose, demonstrate the catch-22 situation that we were in in a very, very short space of time. Of course, when um, we came to look at, at, at um, the awards, we had not anticipated because we, if you look at the awards given out from £42 to £1.56 million, that's the diversity of the sector and the diversity of the need. We um, hadn't anticipated um, uh, the largest sums um, of money to, to individual clubs, and I totally agree with Tracy. I think if we were to do it again, we would have included an additional challenge for substantial amounts of money. What we have also um, recognised in Sport NI is that we, we didn't have that independent, uh, independent of that core team challenge function or sense check, and we are, we are designing that into um, future, um, future schemes. But what I, would, um, what I would also say is that, uh, again, back to um, the, the, the reality that um, the money that we give out was actually um, evidenced against um, net losses across three years of annual accounts. And obviously, when we came to the approval process, which obviously went to our board, there was quite a lot of discussion around um, in particular awards to individual clubs, and there was a, a extensive discussion around that. But the reality was, at the time, we had set design criteria from the outset. We recognise that a Northern Ireland sports can be quite um, and contentious, and in addition to that value for money key principle um, that, that governs all of our, our decisions, we actually decided to go for um, additional principles of integrity, transparency and consistency. And so in the middle of a process to change the criteria, which clearly Royal County Down and other large um, recipients of large amounts of funding, they actually met the criteria for um, the scheme. And to actually decide in the process that we weren't going to pay those out um, was, was contrary um, to the, the additional principles we'd set. And we simply couldn't make a decision um, on the basis of negative media attention. It would also have potentially led to litigation um, because we, we, we did talk about that consistency in scheme design. So, yes, there were concerns, absolutely, Mr Muir. Um, but for the reasons I've just set out, um, we decided that um, the, the board actually decided and approved um, following extensive discussion um, to, to make the awards. Thank you, Antoinette, but I think that raises more concern for me, because if there was extensive discussion and there was concerns in the level of payments, but because it was felt we've went this far, we have to complete it. You know, at that point, there should have been a real sense check to say, like, we're going to have to stop this. But actually, you went ahead, and there's a relationship between the department and between Sport NI as non-departmental 
public body and also with all the governing organisations. All that relationship that is set in place is meant to stop this occur in terms of feedback, scrutiny, challenge and in relation to all that. And it all failed because the payments then went through. And that is a real concern for me that that whole relationship failed. And you know, it really is more a question for Tracy. Is it, do, do you feel that challenge function between the Department and Sport and I uh, needs to be reviewed? And how, how did you feel that worked in relation to this? Um, so the reality here is that we um, we had a scheme. We agreed what the objectives were, and the way of measuring um, or of paying the out was against net losses. That's what Sport and I did. Um, indeed, the department um, also gave some extra resources in terms of consultancy support to make sure that those net losses were evidenced. Now, I have said that uh, if we were starting from, scheme, uh, from scratch again, we would build in, uh, we, would, we would suggest that we would build in something there around evidence need. So for example, what would have, been, what would have happened if we hadn't given 1.5 million to Royal County Down? What would have happened if we hadn't given that? Um, that wasn't built into the actual application form. However, having looked at these in detail now, um, and having looked at uh, the actual position, the financial position of those organisations, I, I, I am very comfortable that there's a very strong additionality argument around the actual funding that's gone to them and what it's leveraged for. Um, this this community, so you know the the idea that I mean there's there's the money here has not gone as a profit to individuals, the money here has gone to clubs to invest in sport and infrastructure, um, and and from that perspective that was what the scheme designed. So yes, there was a, you know whenever anybody sees 1.5 million they go that's an awful lot of money, and it would have been good when whenever that was being assessed to have had that evidence of need at the time. Um, and certainly a lesson for us learnt would be that any scheme like this should have a stronger uh, challenge and additionality built in at that stage. However, that, you know, that ha all of the, the diligence that I have looked at since assures me that there was, um, you know, that, that the funding was, was used for the purpose of, of which uh, it, it was, it was um, meant to in terms of the objective of the scheme. Uh, it was used to invest in sport and ensure sport um, moving forward is in a better position. Just one last question. There was no ministerial direction in relation to this. And this is exactly the type of scheme that you would have expected a ministerial direction in relation to, because we've had many other ones. Are you still satisfied that this should not, did not merit a ministerial direction as you as permanent secretary can stand over the value for money, money judgment in relation to this? Yes, as, as you're aware, um, a ministerial direction is normally made uh, when um, a minister uh, makes a decision to move forward with something um, against the advice um, of the accounting officer. Uh, and normally, it's, it's because, uh, for example, um, the accounting office does not think that the decision the minister is taking represents a value for money. Um, in this scheme, um, I believe that as a department, uh, we are level of we, uh, we, we assessed the need. The need was there. Uh, we developed a, a business case. I have reviewed the business case. I thought at the time, I think the business case was proportionate to the, the time frame that we were under. Um, and it's, it set out uh, the, the range of issues you would normally look at in a business plan. So um, I'm comfortable that um, in, this, in this scheme that, it, that, I w that there was sufficient evidence of value for money um, and diligence 
it's for uh, not, not to seek a direction. And I should say that um, it's not that I would be concerned about seeking a direction. Uh, as you heard, um, you know, today, uh, we had to seek a direction from our minister around the supporting people because we were unable to conclude on value for money for that. But on this, as I said, um, this was, you know, we, we felt that we had sufficient information and that we felt that the business case that was proportionate enough. Um, I would just say, Andrew, just, just to make the point that as a board in the department, um, we had taken a decision during COVID that our level of risk appetite would be higher than it would normally be because we recognised we had to respond really quickly. And if we went through our normal process for everything, we, we couldn't have delivered uh, what we did in, in that period of time. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Okay, can I just ask, in terms of the distributions of monies across the sports, um, could you just give the committee the breakdown of you know how much did rugby get, how much did football get, and so on? Yes, S certainly yes. So, um, so basically, as you know, there was uh, 23 million paid out altogether, um, and that was paid out to 430 sports clubs and 22 sports governing bodies. So, if I aggregate what was paid out to the sporting bodies, bodies uh, to the uh, to the clubs and the governing bodies. Uh, if that's the figure that you're looking for, then uh, for um, Gaelic Games, it was 7.4 million. For IFA, it was 6.6 .6 million. For golf clubs, it was 4.2 million. For rugby clubs, it was 2.2 million. And to the other sporting clubs, it was 2.6 million. Uh, I can break that down further if you want to, in terms of money that went out to governing bodies vis-a-vis -vis clubs, if, if you'd like. It's in, it's in the report. Perhaps if you could provide that to the committee uh, going forward, if you wouldn't mind, that would be, be helpful. The, okay. the further breakdown of the £2.6 million, pounds, if you don't mind. Um, I'm not asking you to do it now, but and the other thing is, what did the department and what did sport in our, I mean, did they take into consideration the capacity that there is with across sports? For example, um, how many cricket clubs got money as opposed to Gaelic clubs? I'm, I'm going to actually ask Sport and I to answer the question on capacity because I, I wouldn't be an expert on, on the sporting sport, but we can tell you how much um, the, various, um, the various sports schemes got. Um, Antoinette, do you want to answer the question just about um, this, the, how you took account of sporting the capacity out there? Uh, yes, um, absolutely. And um, I think. Um, it's a really good question, Chair, because we recognise the diversity of the sector right through from um, very small um, organisations um, right up to, as we said, our, our big ball sports. Um, and we did, um, if we had had the time, we definitely know that modelling would have been the best approach. So, um, when we look at modelling, the, the standard model modelling frameworks that we applied, we, we recognise may not have been fit for COVID purpose, if you know what I mean. But certainly, um, modelling would have given us an opportunity to do more um, in-depth analysis on a sport-by-sport -sport basis. Remember, we've 78 recognised governing bodies of sport in Northern Ireland. Um, so um, capacity was, um, was actually considered, and we did give a lot of support to those smaller um, as in human resource support to a lot of those smaller governing bodies who may not have had the level of um, paid staff, employed staff or professional staff that some of the bigger bodies such as um, IFA or GEA um, would, um, 
um, would have. I'm going to ask um, my colleague Ian Weir, who um, worked um, on the uh, on the actual implementation of the scheme and is currently working on due diligence, to maybe set out exactly how many cricket clubs were um, funded as opposed to um, Gaelic clubs or IFA clubs, for example. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Antoinette. Can, can you hear me okay? Yes. yes. Yep. So the 23 cricket clubs were in receipt of funding. Um, I think there were 180 um, GAA clubs. And in terms of, of uh, IFA affiliate clubs, there were 77 uh, in receipt of funding from ourselves. As Antoinette says, there's a, a real um, spread of, of capacity and capability across the sports sector, ranging from very small governing bodies up to very large ones with lots of, uh, of paid professional staff in them. And certainly from a sport and I point of view, we engaged um, on a number of webinars to try and explain what we were looking for from the governing bodies and their affiliated clubs. Um, we were available, uh, sorry, the team that was working on this were available for the I think, six or seven weeks that it was open, including over Christmas, uh, essentially on call to answer any questions. Um, and we did this um, in, in terms of answering to groups, but also in one-to-one -one and putting up FAQs to try and assist the sector as much as we possibly could um, to apply to a novel scheme, something we haven't put together before, certainly in the, the time that was available, etc. And essentially, we, we did our best to try and, and help them as best we could through this process. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. And I would just add as well that um, we worked through the governing bodies. Um, so we actually relied on the governing bodies um, intimate knowledge of their clubs um, as well. So that was that was an added um, capability and capacity issues. And for those, as I said, governing bodies who didn't necessarily have the, the capacity to um, work with their clubs, we provided them additional support. Having already admitted that there was an issue around the modelling, would it be fair to say that those sports that have a large um, support in terms of government monies or ticketing coming through the gates are in a huge advantage in terms of the capacity they have on a scheme like this, as opposed to, for example, cricket, and I should declare an interest as Vice President of Woodville Cricket Club, but would that not be a fair point to make? Um, I, I suppose it's, it's, it's worth pointing out that uh, the, the Sports Sustainability Fund wasn't the only uh, scheme that was run. Um, there was also the Sports Hardship Fund, which was for um, you know smaller clubs to pay for necessary things, whether it was maintenance or, or insurance, and that um, supported over, um, I think, 900 uh, uh, clubs as well as the Sports Sustainability Fund. Um, the, the obviously the, to to get access to this one they needed three three years accounts and you know that that may have been um, an issue for for, for some clubs um, however the application form was actually a fairly uh, other than actually putting in the finances it, it was it wasn't that complicated an application form and the governing bodies as, as Antoinette said um, uh, spent a lot of time uh, they, you know they went to, to, to get them up to speed so they could then uh, support the actual individual clubs on this. Okay. Can I just ask, if I may, um, can, you, can you tell me what the rules and responsibilities of the Department on Sport NI and the governing bodies were in terms of developing the scheme? You go and talk to them, you decide this, this scheme is needed, and it clearly was needed, given that the number of us who were contacted by clubs in our 
constituencies. Um, so you talk, the department talks to the Sport NI and then you talk to the governing bodies. How did that work? Okay, I'll, I'll start that off then and, and, and pass on to Antoinette. Clearly, um, Sport NI is the main conduit uh, to, to sport um, in terms of, of the department. However, uh, as you mentioned there, um, you know, it was quite late in the year um, when we got round to um, get, getting some funding for sport. Sport had been they need to be get very vocal because they were already at a situation where they had had um, sort of nine months um, of, of COVID issues. Um, departmental officials, Sport and I and the minister met with representatives uh, from some of the, the governing bodies and also the Northern Sports Forum. Um, to discuss the challenge they were facing on a number of occasions. And again, sports also came in front of our own committee and set out some of the challenges they were face faced. It certainly, I know it was the minister's view at the time, um, she was very keen that the governing bodies would have a key role in the delivery of the scheme, uh, including, you know, communicate the scheme details and guidance um, and sense checking the applications. Um, so, um, it, it, you know, it, it was at then Sport NI who then uh, took that forward into the actual scheme guidance. So, um, and I know that, uh, that they had lots of further contact uh, with, with the clubs around that. Uh, Antoinette, do you want to pick that up? Yes, thank you, um, Tracy. Um, yeah, I mean, between March and um, the end of September last year, 2020, Sport and I was engaging on a daily basis with the right across the sports sector and indeed the Northern Ireland Sports Forum, whom we um, actually uh, have a service level agreement with to represent um, the, the views um, of, um, of our smaller governing bodies to make sure that they, they also had a voice throughout this. We were holding, um, we held six um, briefings um, with the sector between um, the start of April and the end of September, um, and clearly um, we um, we saw the we saw a very clear need. We surveyed um, the sector in, in June, and 62% um, worth uh, um, of, of of those surveyed said that they were actually um, really struggling um, to survive um, over the next six to 12 months. So we recognised that um, the sector um, was was in, in, in need of support. Um, when we, we worked closely with D4C, who had a very clear policy intent um, and in terms of the objectives of the scheme to actually return um, sport um, in a sustainable way so that as we um, came out of COVID restrictions that the sports sector was in the right position to be able to support all of us actually return to um, levels of fitness and um, go back to um, bringing our membership back to uh, local community clubs um, right through to um, right through to getting our, our, our whole sporting nation um, going again. Um, so, as Tracy said, the Minister met with over 70 um, governing bodies of sport representatives on the 19th of October, and we subsequently received indication of a £15 million fund, um, fund coming through. We had a workshop on the 11th of November with um, over 80 representatives from governing bodies of sport from the very smallest right up um, and again um, took extensive briefing from them as to what, what the need uh, what the need was. Um, if you want to ask me that question in more detail, get, detail again, um, William, I'm happy to give you any further detail you might need. Well, can I just, just expand on that question? Because um, 
you know, in terms of the the joined upness of the scheme the, yeah. um, between yourselves and the, and and the department and and the the various governing bodies, what were the government arra governance arrange arrangements in relation to the scheme? And was there an overview of the scheme by people not directly involved? So I'll start off in terms of the department's role in that. So obviously um, the department was responsible for the business case for the scheme um, um, and for showing that the, 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 the money was there and approved. Um, and then within the department there was a strategic uh, oversight group which um, then worked with Sport and I and uh, Sport and I then set up its own um, project board, um, I think Antoinette, you were the S SRO on that in terms of the scheme design and, and, and delivery. Um, so they, they, there was formal meetings and dashboards uh, came up um, between the oversight group and the, the project board uh, on a weekly basis. Um, Antoinette, do, do you want to uh, sort of answer the rest of that, that question in terms of yes. scrutiny? Um, thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Um, yes, we had established a, a core project team, um, as I said earlier, within Sport NI, um, and that project team reported um, we had a project manager. Um, the project manager reported um, to me as SRO for the scheme, and we we had an overall um, program, um, COVID program um, recovery um, board, which I chaired and which included all members of the executive um, team. We did meet weekly um, with the department, and in fact, we, we delivered a weekly report which set out um, progress against the objectives of the scheme and identified any risks, in particular, in, in delivery of the scheme or um, any risks that might um, prevent us from delivering the scheme. Um, so our oversight was very clear our accountability to, to the department. Um, and our, 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 in, our, our challenge function was from October through to March um, was our board um, in terms of ensuring that we were fully accountable to the board and that they had an opportunity at every board meeting. And indeed, we included additional um, extraordinary board meetings for, for decision making and, and to ensure that additional challenge function was in place. Though, as I said earlier, um, we have recognised that in hindsight, um, having had an additional um, group of, of staff um, outside of that core project team that could have um, challenged um, the, the design of the scheme um, against um, the business case. Um, we, in hindsight, we think that would have been a good idea. So, so um, we, we are factoring that into future scheme designs. So can I ask, in the, the terms of the core project team that you talk about, were there people not directly involved or were they people from the department and Sport NI. In terms of the core team, um, the core team, we had a core team within Sport NI for the design of the scheme, the design delivery, and um, and now the due diligence on the scheme. And we reported to both our board and to um, the department um, for communities. Yeah, so, so, but just to establish, so this core team were were they all then Sport NI people? Yes, the core team were Sport NI people. No one but from we outside. Also had support, we also had support, um, again, provided by um, D4C from um, Ernst Young, um, who, who supported us in terms of the um, applications coming in. Um, and uh, can I then ask Mr Lucas, as chair of your board, if I may, um, in terms of the governance, 
Um, what role did the board play, Mr. Lucas? And were you involved? Was your board involved in uh, the scheme, or, or is it involved in the review of the scheme? Thank you, Chair. Uh, the board's normal role would be to approve the business case. Uh, in this instance, as Tracy has said, the approval was given by DFC. Uh, the board did not approve the scheme design, and would not normally. This would not normally be the board's role. But the board was involved right from the outset when the money became available. We got a briefing from the CEO in October. Uh, then on the 17th of December, at a board meeting, we discussed the project management process for the scheme. And then in February, uh, we talked about the grants, uh, the level of historic accounts required, small clubs missing out, potential criticism of large rewards, the inclusivity and the need for the ability of female clubs to access the fund uh, and the promotion of the scheme. So all those things were talked about as we went along and we had an oversight uh, of the scheme and then we had a role in approving uh, the final grants that were, that, were made, that were made, which we did. So this, the board was content and had no concerns uh, when this scheme was set up? The board, the board were, were content that the scheme was set up, that there was a robust business case, uh, and then that the design of the scheme, as Antoinette has laid out there, was done, and there was engagement with the governing bodies. So the best processes were put in place, Chair, that uh, were available. And coming back to the opening remarks by Tracy and Antoinette, uh, really the time frame and the factor and the uniqueness of the, of the COVID-19 conditions uh, made it a, a unique scheme. Okay, and with the, pro the, the progress of time uh, since the scheme was introduced and the money is distributed £23 million, does the board remain content and, and have no concerns? The, the board remains content because uh, having had the business case put forward and having had the, uh, the scheme designed and the criteria and the robustness of dealing with net losses, uh, the board then, in its oversight and review process, felt uh, content that the scheme had been implemented uh, in the best possible way we could under the circumstances. And the much-needed funds, which we're very much aware of, uh, was getting out to the sector. And does the board finally, does the board have any concerns about the distribution of those monies across the sports and across the various codes? Uh, not really, because that was the, there was an element within the scheme that had been designed, obviously. And then there was also, the, as Antonetta said, the integrity and the transparency and consistent. The principles agreed, so that it was trying to get fairness right across the range of sports. Uh, and this was all, all, these principles were all also augmented with a value for money. So it was quite difficult at the outset, which we were aware that 78 uh, different governing bodies for sport and quite a lot of clubs all over the country and the variety of sizes uh, of clubs and sports. Uh, it was quite difficult to get this in time. I mean, in a normal scheme, this could take a year to one and a half years to, to implement uh, and design and so on. So to do this within three or four months, uh, we feel that the, you know, the best case was done and, and that we uh, it, it delivered for the sector, which, which as Tracy and Antoinette have said, was much needed. Okay, that'll do me for the moment. Mr. Beggs. 
I'm, I'm trying to understand um, the role of the department in the design of the scheme. So we've been told here that the Sports Council put this detailed scheme together. So can I ask the Permanent Secretary what was her role in uh, oversight of that scheme? Did she have any? So, um, in terms of my personal role, obviously, um, obviously, whilst I'm accountable for all spend within the department, um, I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't approve personally everything that happens. There's a there's a process of de delegations. Um, so the department um, was responsible for the business case and signing off on that. Um, that would have been signed off by one of my deputy secretaries and passed to the minister to ensure that she was content. And I would have seen the business case uh, at that stage. In terms of the actual design of the scheme, that was uh, Sport and I um, were responsible for designing the scheme. But um, as we explained, um, there was a, an oversight group within the department which, um, which, which met uh, on a weekly basis with Sport and I um, to ensure that um, the scheme was being developed and delivered um, as per the objectives laid out in the business case. If there was an oversight group, um, managing the system, can you explain how the mission creep occurred? Because very clearly in the business case notes it talks about addressing financial hardship and not simply awarding funding to sports organisations because they have suffered loss of income. So if that was in the business case in the department, how did that get lost? Um, I would be the first to uh, acknowledge that um, in this scheme design, it would have been preferable to have a statement of additionality, a statement of need in there. Um, having said that, um, that, that the actual criteria that were used um, really did, were fully aligned with what was in the business case, which is about supporting the sector and making sure it was ready to, to, to move um, after COVID-19. Surely, if it did reward loss of profit rather than simply um, uh, financial hardship as indicated in the business case, it went way beyond the business case. Um, I, I think that, you know, we, we can know, the fact is that the vast majority of this money uh, went to a wide range of organisations. Some of them were in more financial hardship than others. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, but the, the fact is that all of the money went against the, the objectives of the scheme. Um, and actually, um, when, when, I, when I look at the, the business case and I look at the actual objectives, uh, it actually talks about the programme aims being to ensure the sports sector around represent of the diverse range of sporting interests for all its citizens and the geographic spread remains in place after the COVID-19 crisis had passed. And it talks about focusing on sustaining governing bodies and clubs, building club resilience, maintaining facilities and protecting jobs. So I believe it did all of those things and um, you know, addressing the, 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 uh, the net uh, hardship was only, uh, it was one, was one part of it. You seem to be defending giving a very, very affluent club 1.6 million pounds when it didn't really need it. So I, I, asked, you I asked you a very clear question. Do you think that represents value for money? So let, let me come back to that then, because I, I actually do, and I'll explain to you why I do. Um, World County Down, uh, here we are in Northern Ireland, and we have two of the top 10 golf courses in the world. 
So we have a we have a golf sector here, which is is the envy of many people around us. That golf sector, um, and particularly actually RTD, and I've spoken to Tourism NI about this. That, that, that golf club actually drives golf tourism in Northern Ireland. Golf tourism in Northern Ireland actually generates in the region of 56 million pounds a year. The money that went to Royal County Down went to them on the basis of the net losses they had actually incurred as a result of COVID-19. Um, as I said, around about uh, the largest amount of that was down to the money they lost from um, green fees. If so, uh, also. The, the, the club must create surpluses to actually reinvest in its infrastructure. If it doesn't, it will not be able to retain its position. So, you know, it would have been a really bad outcome for us if Royal County Down were unable to invest in its facilities uh, and retain its status as the one of the, the world's top golf, golf courses. It's watching it at the minute. So, in, in my view, yes, it, it was a very large sum of money. Um, when I saw that award coming through, I, I asked the question, um, was there a robust process to assess this to make sure this was correct? I took a lot of comfort from the fact that, as well as Sport NI and Sun Young had looked at it, the net losses were, were absolutely um, evidenced. Um, and also, uh, as I said, it, what I would have preferred at that stage would have been that uh, actually in the application form there had been a process of stating why they needed the money. There wasn't. That was a weakness in the process, and I think that if we were doing it again, we would certainly look at a statement of additionality. But when we look at additionality, which is about what would have happened if the intervention hadn't happened, I think there's a very strong case of additionality here, insofar as what we have got is uh, Royal County Down in a position to actually continue to invest in its infrastructure and, and not in danger of losing losing its its um, number one um, space. I, I should say that even with the money they have um, for the year, this coming year, um, 2021, the, the club have told us that they will make quite a substantial loss. Um, also, I should say to you that they have increased their, um, their, their members' fees during the year to try to address some of that, that loss. So this wasn't a question of us giving money to a, a, a golf club that you know went to people to you know have have a good time. That this money went to a golf club, a sporting asset, to reinvest in that asset, and actually the whole of Northern Ireland will benefit from that. And if they you know and you know obviously there's a massive um, benefit to the economy, but also employment, uh, the the people who are employed by them, the people who actually come to Northern Ireland and stay in hotels and spend you know lots of money here. So I you know I I, I think that. I understand that that headline was a real issue and it cracked a lot of media attention, but sometimes you have to dig in beneath these things to see actually what was the purpose and can it be justified. The scheme was to address financial hardship and I noticed in other regions in England the maximum uh, grant for a golf club was £10,000, the Republic €25,000. Wales, £5,000, and nothing in Scotland. So my question to both the Chief Executive and the Permanent Secretary, why was there no thought of a cap in Northern Ireland? And did you discuss with other uh, regions how they were trying to support sport? I'll start and pass on to Antoinette, who would have um, more detailed knowledge of what's happened in other regions. And yes, a cap was discussed. Um, and we, we would say that certainly um, 
if we were to do this scheme um, in normal times, we would have modelled it uh, so that we would have understood better what the impact of a cap would have been. Uh, if, if we had introduced a cap without modelling some arbitrary cap, we were concerned that the actually objective of the scheme wouldn't be met insofar as, uh, for example, you know, if the cap had been you know, 500,000, know, that would have meant that the likes of the governing bodies might not have got what they needed. And those governing bodies are really essential to support the grant. And, and support NI, Antoinette? Uh, um, yeah, um, just to say that um, we recognise that there was an overall cap in the scheme of 25 million, um, but we did we did consider um, a cap um, at the very early stages. But as Tracy has said, and given that we've we've been saying this afternoon, the diversity in the sector um, is just so wide across 78 um, recognised governing bodies of sport that um, a cap that um, we might have been able to put on um, on netball, for example, um, would have been insufficient for um, for football um, or, um, or or indeed um, rugby, for example. So um, it, it was we were taking a very arbitrary um, approach to just putting on a cap. And I agree, if, had we had more time, there would have been, and we certainly would have looked um, at modelling. Though we also do recognise that um, for the larger sums of money, we could have put in that additional challenge um, function and um, evidence, um, stronger evidence of need, as Tracy has said, and that has been a key learning for us. Um, in terms of the um, differences between um, the, I suppose, UK home nations and, and Ireland and um, sport, sport Northern Ireland, because we do work across two. Um, jurisdictions were unique in the world um, in that in that regard. Um, we are very different from the sports sector, um, other sports sectors in, in the UK, and we've also, we've always recognised that. Um, sport is a devolved um, matter um, here, um, and we we recognise that it's really really plays a really strong role in community cohesion. Um, but there is also um, a, a contention in sport in that it has the capacity to um, divide um, our communities in Northern Ireland, and we have seen that um, in the past. What we didn't want to get into in this regard was the zero-sum game of if one sport got X, um, then it was unfair if another sport got Y. So that's why we actually um, designed, didn't go for a, an, an arbitrary cap, but actually went for the um, net losses and that to define financial um, financial need, um, and I would agree with Tracy that um, there was clear financial need there um, from the smallest to the to the largest um, individual um, grant award. Um, we uh, we know that um, in in Northern Ireland sport is much less professionalised than in other parts of the UK. Um, many, 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 many more sports in other UK nations have, have more paid full-time dedicated staff in contrast to this prevailing reliance that we have in Northern Ireland on, um, um, on, on our volunteers. Um, and we have lost a lot of our volunteers as a result of this pandemic, not just our volunteers, but members as well, and, and, and clubs and sports are continuing to, to struggle with those volunteers um, and members, whether they're coaches or whether they're committee members, etc. There's historic and structural differences um, in Northern Ireland as well. These differences have been um, not least the lack of investment during the Troubles, which was for money um, 
quite rightly was going into defence at a time when um, those investments, ports infrastructure and other parts of the um, and other parts of, of, of the UK. And this isn't simply about public investment, it's also about the context with private investment. As a result of the peace process, for example, we've seen facility development in the private sector in the SBC arena, and we've seen um, the, the Belfast Giants and are very, very proud of them. So again, there's quite different, um, there's a lot of structural differences between um, the um, UK home nations and indeed um, and indeed in Ireland. And we know that Scottish clubs operated um, continually for May. Um, so other jurisdictions had different restrictions to what we had. Um, and there were alternative um, funding, for example, tourism in Scotland, a lot of funding into, into golf. We didn't have that. Um, we didn't have that facility in Northern Ireland. And we would still maintain that golfing as a sport, golf as a sport, we recognise the economic um, value of, of, of golf. But as a sport, um, it is one of our best loved sports um, with probably participation levels um, as high as or similar to that uh, for football in Northern Ireland. And we, we actually want to continue to grow, not just the participation risk, particularly among young people. We also want to see a continuation of the, the massive talent that we punch above our weight um, in golf. And, and, and in, in sporting terms, not just economic terms, but in sporting terms, it's critical that we continue to, to invest. So there are some of the differences in, in jurisdiction, which is why. And the NIAO report does recognise that we actually designed a scheme to meet the evidence need on the ground in Northern Ireland, as indeed other jurisdictions did. This was a hardship support grant, not an economic development grant. Did you contact the department before uh, agreeing to pay the £1.6 million? And if so, did the department not think to pause it and reassess what was happening? Because I understand, for instance, in terms of paying... Um, grants to wind turbines. When the department discover, discovered that, they paused it. They changed their scheme. So, the, two questions for both the chief executive and then the permanent secretary. Okay. Well, sorry. Sorry. So, I just start in terms of the sorry the the responsibilities of this department, and obviously. Um, the Department of Community has a very wide range of responsibilities, um, um, but you know, I think it's important to look at this in the context of this was an executive, this was an executive fund. These these money, this money was voted by the executive, and and very often, for so, example, sorry, can you can you answer my can you answer my question? My question was, were you aware of the 1.6 million pound funds uh, allocation before it was agreed to be paid? And uh, in terms of that, did you think to pausing the, pausing the scheme to put in some form of uh, cap and better value for money? No. Uh, basi basically, I was assured that the scheme um, had been run according to the criteria and that there had been due diligence on the money. Uh, and therefore, um, the department had no basis on which to uh, question um, uh, to, to question whether the sport and I—I mean, one of the one of the reasons in the business plan that the sport and I were running the scheme was was they as an ALB arm's length from the department to to make these types of decisions. So it would have been a fairly arbitrary thing for the department to say, you know, we don't actually like that um, that the the investment in that. I, I should say just to answer the other question, I didn't speak to my colleagues in economy at the time, but I have since, since spoken to tourism and I, who have been very very clear about what the impact would have been. If, we, if, um, if Royal County Down had lost its um, 
number one status. Sorry, Antoinette. Um, sorry, thank you, um, Tracy. Um, and um, just to um, support what Tracy um, has said, we actually um, we brought the um, any funding award um, over five hundred thousand pound. We brought directly to our board. As I said earlier, um, in response to questions which Mr. Muir had asked, um, we there, there was um, there was challenge from the board. But as Tracy has also said, our board couldn't decide because um, they didn't want to give money to one individual um, club, and um, where it had very clearly evidenced net losses. And we recognised the, the the additionality point had that threshold had been had been passed and. Actually, in, in, in not investing the funding, we were leaving ourselves um, not just we weren't just leaving ourselves open to litigation, um, which our legal advice had actually um, provided to us. That would have put at risk the entire scheme. Um, but also the fact that um, Royal County Down, in terms of that additionality, if we hadn't provided that money, then the planned irrigation system. Um, that um, they needed to replace would not have gone ahead. And if that had not gone ahead, we did put at risk um, that world number one status. Just, just to give um, me clarity, so so you, you, you and your board did not think to tell the department that the current scheme was giving £1.6 million to an individual club and you took the decision not to do anything. Is that correct? Just to pay Absolutely. out and to make sure you spent as much of the £25 million as possible. What I would say is that um, we spent the money in line with the scheme and the Northern Ireland Audit Office report does recognise that, um, um, that the money was spent aligned to the objectives of the scheme and that due diligence was applied. We advised the department after, um, after the board had approved it and uh, there's certain approvals um, uh, over a million pounds that does need to go to the department for final approval. Um, and. Um, but we, we did take um, the, the role of the board um, was to make those decisions on um, amounts over um, half a million pound, and the board did take those decisions. And we considered all of the reasons that I've given, including litigation, and actually deciding on an arbitrary, subjective um, process that we're, well, we're going to change the, the rules of the scheme design mid um, midway here and we just don't like the look of this so we're not paying it um, okay. we actually did apply the principles as we said earlier and it moved onwards then for final approval of uh, amounts of a million and over um, to the department uh, A final area of question then around um, potential for duplicate funding we've heard not only were losses paid for but loss of profits were paid for did that also involve paying additional duplicate funding in terms of some uh, would have also qualified for the business support grant, uh, perhaps up to £25,000. So as well as having their income sustained, they may have been entitled to a further £25,000. Is, is that correct? Was that taken on board? Were there any clauses built into your uh, uh, scheme to claw back should there be any duplicate funding? Um. Yes, we had a clause in the scheme um, that um, we would um, that we would be um, in terms of our due diligence checks, we would be ensuring that there was no additional um, that that there wasn't that duplicate funding, 
and indeed our, our, we are now 97% of due diligence um, checks currently, so that clause was very clear in the application process. And indeed, on the samples checked by um, the Northern Ireland Audit Office, there was a, a positive declaration um, by those clubs who had been in receipt of, the, um, of, of other sources of, of, of funding. And how much money has been returned when there's been duplicate funding? Sorry? How much money has been returned where there has been duplicate funding? Oh, thank you. Apologies. I hadn't heard you, Mr. Beggs. I'm going to pass over to my colleague, Ian Weir, who has the figures on that. Ian's leading the due diligence checks sure. right now. Our data matching exercise to date identified a potential of up to £36,000. Um, of potential duplicate funding. Um, currently, we're, we're working through with the, the clubs and the government bodies to identify the, the actual quantum of that. Currently, it's approximately £21,600, um, which is 0.21% of the overall awards made. The, the due diligence has involved extensive data matching against other data sources, for example, Companies House, um, charities, commission accounts, and uh, awards in the government funding database, and all of that due diligence to date has identified um, twenty-six thousand pounds worth of errors to date, um, which again, 0.12 percent, a very, very small percentage of the awards made, um, have identified errors with them to date. Just for clarity, if one club received the business support grant scheme that would be £25,000 it would have had and you would have also paid the loss of earnings from, from your scheme so presumably one club could potentially have received £25,000 of duplicate funding so you're saying you've so far claimed back 21000 There's a separate analysis line on all the applications for clubs to identify other COVID funding and that uh, uh, analysis line has been checked against the other data sources. Now, the £25,000 you, you mentioned, um, there have been no incidences of that being identified as being duplicate funding. Um, and again, that has been borne out in the Audit Office report also. OK, thank you. OK, Mr O'Toole. Thank you, Chair. To go back to the question of um, what has been termed additionality, um, just so we're clear, by additionality, and this is to the Permanent Secretary first and then Antoinette afterwards if she wishes, um, by additionality you mean additional economic benefit derived from, in particular, Royal County Downs um, preeminent status as a tourist destination? Is that, am I correctly understanding what you mean by additionality in that sense? So what I mean by additionality is um, what what our funding has leveraged, which wouldn't it wouldn't have happened in the absence of that funding. So in other words, our funding has leveraged additional benefits for. Um, as, uh, so so in the absence of our funding, for example, there is no. There, it, when I when I look at the situation, um, that uh, Royal, Royal, Royal County Down would have had to have paused some of its um, investment programmes. Um, and, um, for, for example, Antoinette mentioned the irrigation system, which was has been planned. This, 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 by the way, this investment is not new; it's been planned over a three-year period. Had to be paused during COVID, um, so um, they would have had to use all of their reserves in terms of covering their operating costs, and therefore some investments in the club couldn't have been made. So, yeah, my, my statement of additionality is 
what what has the funding leverage which wouldn't have happened would, wouldn't have happened in the absence of that funding so the do you know how much was required for the irrigation system and how much how much of the um uh royal county down grant was specifically connected to the irrigation scheme and any other additional schemes that you have been leveraged so the figures that i have are you know we um the, the the fund they they got they got one point I think it was one point five million. Yeah. The irrigation system um, is in the region of one point seven million. There's a further two million required in terms of green sheds and also the investment. So this was the the investment that Royal County Down had planned over a three year period in women's facilities. So they they obviously um, had paused some of that investment. They commenced it before COVID, paused it during COVID, and. And then they're recommencing some of this investment at the moment. And so if you kind of if you look at the metamorphosis there, so they did have some reserves, but a large sum of those reserves was uh, prepaid green fees and therefore wasn't, they weren't able to invest. That was actually a liability, um, not a reserve. So the, so the answer to your question is at the end of this, this year coming, Royal County Down will still be in a negative position, even, even with the funding they've got from the, the, the sport fund. Okay. Um, so you have covered the sports system, but did it cover the, the total of the irrigation, the cost of the irrigation project? Um, I'm not sure how much of the irrigation project they'll spend this year, so I can't give you the exact answer to that question, uh, Mr. O'Toole. And, and specifically in relation to the irrigation, what would have happened if the irrigation scheme hadn't proceeded? What, what's the... Uh, why was that so necessary? Apparently, um, the irrigation system they have in place is um, quite long in the tooth, and it's a, it would it's, it would it was willing to impact on the quality of the greens, um, and and therefore this investment need to be made for it to retain the quality of the golf course, and indeed, that quality would also allow it to retain its number one golf position. Is the inf information that that I have received? Okay, the number one golf position is, I presume. The mag the magazine ranking, the golf digest. digest. Yeah, the Reader's Digest. Okay, Golf Digest. Oh, the Reader's Digest. Sorry, golf digest. <laughs> wrong Digest, but yes, Digest. So, are we to understand that a and the part of an additional criteria on which public money was committed was a decision made by a golf magazine? Um, no, that that's not fair. I I I have spoken to. Um, Tourism and I spoke to the chief executive on this, and he was very clear to me that actually, whilst it might be a, a golf magazine saying it's the number one position, that is a major driver for golf tourism here. People come here to play golf because they want to play on that golf course, um, and that there is no doubt that the, the growth in golf tourism has been driven by the quality of that. I mean, if we look at uh, even um, Port Rush. You know, the Open uh, generated uh, over a million, hundred million pounds. So, you know, it's not just about the number one ranking. This is about actually the 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 the, the opportunity for Northern Ireland to retain um, and grow its revenue from um, golf tourism in, in, in Northern Ireland. Not, not just golf tourism, I should say. I mean, obviously, as Antoinette pointed out, um, you know, golf is a 
is golf is uh, has a large number of people participating and we're very keen also to see that um the more diversity in terms okay. of um like more women and uh, playing and things like that i'll come back i to don't that. know where I, yeah sorry sorry, sorry. I don't know whether you want Antoinette to come in. If Antoinette has something to add, I'm happy for her to come in. Um, yeah, well, ju just to say that um, in terms of um, in terms of the the additionality, we looked at additionality um, and, uh, similar to what um, Tracy has um, set out in that as well, and we've also look at, looked at um, HM Treasury Better Business Cases guidance, and that it's an impact arising from an intervention which is additional if, if it would not have occurred in the absence of that um, intervention. And I think Tracy's already dem um, demonstrated what um, Royal County Down, what would not have happened. Okay. Um, but just to be absolutely clear, we did not give Royal County Down um, funding specifically, specifically for an irrigation system. We gave it to them in, to take account of the net losses as evidenced over the three years of accounts that they had um, provided to us. And I think it's worth worth noting that um, the key losses to Royal County Down when we looked at the um, when we looked um, at the, the, the figures given, the green fee um, type type income was down 92 percent, and the hospitality um, income was down 90 percent. So there was a there was a very clear evidence there of um, of income lost as it was a direct result of COVID-19. But obviously, the scheme didn't just compensate them for lost income it, it, there was additional um, funding on the point about to go back to this point about um, the status of Royal County Down um, uh, effectively the argument is that uh, money was spent to help it maintain its preeminence and it's world famous it's a great asset um, presumably similar uh, I mean, Northern Ireland isn't the only part of these islands with very attractive golf courses. Presumably, St Andrews and Carnoustie and Ballybunion, uh, similar arguments would have been made in those jurisdictions. Um, but I'm not aware of similar schemes to subsidise uh, golf courses of, those, of that eminence in those places. So in, 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 sorry, in Scotland, for, for example, um, as Antoinette made the point that um, a lot of the golf courses were actually open um, for most most of the time, um, I, I wouldn't have the details of the sorts of supports that went um, into those other areas. But what I would say before I pass on to Antoinette, you know, I know it's the digest, but it, we do have the top two two of the top golf two two of the top ten golf courses. Um, in the world or in this small place, Antoinette. Um, yeah, just to say that um, there were different um, there were different approaches um, from different parts of government in other jurisdictions. Um, so, as I said earlier, we actually designed a scheme to meet the very specific needs, um, evidence needs of sport on the ground um, in Northern Ireland. And like Tracy has already said, I'm happy to echo that. Um, we hadn't when when we designed the scheme. We designed it as we said for 78 governing bodies of sport. We didn't have time to do any modelling. Um, we we've paid out sums from 42 pounds, 42 pounds to 1.56 million. We hadn't anticipated at the time of the scheme design that 
um, any one particular um, sports club was going to um, take the um, take the level of, of award that that Wild County Down would get had ha, has got. But we also recognise that for those um, larger sums of money, we could have had a challenge function built into the um, design that over a certain amount of money we would have uh, we would have sought um, more. Um, more ev evidence of need, and Tracy has already referred to a, um, a positive declaration that, that with hindsight, um, um, we, we we acknowledge. However, um, I am satisfied as as accounting officer for Sport and I, um, accountable to the board, accountable to Tracy as, as my principal accounting officer, that um, we did meet the objectives um, of the scheme for Royal County Down. That there was clear evidence of um, net losses um, there and that we were investing in golf. We're not just investing in the economy, we're investing in golf, but it would be reckless of us to not actually recognise the massive um, financial contribution that, that golf makes to Northern Ireland. It's actually quite unique. Um, Tourism NI has demonstrated to us that for um, every £244 so that the average spend of tourists in Northern Ireland coming golf spend um, 1, over 1900 so that's actually what we couldn't put, to, put aside but as a sports development organization that values golf and recognizes its importance in, in northern ireland um, we were investing in sport okay. and i would take in the nicest possible way we do have great golf courses but i would take issue with the statement that it's unique and i should declare an interest i went to university in st andrews and i can promise you we are not the only part of the world that gets golf tourists and i think it would be helpful for the committee to have a a comparator between, for example, Scotland and Northern Ireland to see whether, uh, for example, the the, um, the the old course in Carnoustie and Turnbury were subsidised to a similar extent. And my final question is just to go back to a point you've made, which is about um, one of the arguments is on golf participation. Uh, someone who used to play golf, um, I, I agree with that. It's it, it's that it would be great if more people play golf. It doesn't deserve necessarily all its reputation for just being um, for a certain class of person. But um, since you've made, made the argument about participation, can I ask, just out of interest, do you know how much it costs to play a round of golf at Royal County Down? How much a green fee would be if I was to go down now? No, I'm not aware of that. It's 270. I, I don't. Sorry. It's £270. It was just not to be churlish, but I think it's worth pointing out that uh, when we're talking about widening participation, uh, there aren't too many people who can afford £270 for a round of golf. So Royal County Downs uh, irrigation system may not be uh, precisely the best way of widening participation. Do you have any more questions, Chair? Chair, I might just come in to maybe give a little bit of detail around widening participation because it is something we, we have looked at. Um, I'm happy to give it or if that's okay. No. If, if, yes, 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 of course. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Um, we did actually look at widening participation in Wild Down, and, and there is an annual summer scheme there which charge for 10 to 17 year olds. Um, and this is an area which Sport and I is very much focused on on, on um, growing um, golf in because it is a predominantly um, it's predominantly a sport for older people currently. Um, and that cost that widening participation cost twenty five pound per week for ten to seventeen um, year olds. I think uh, uh, a relative. 
GA summer scheme is, is roughly between 35 and 40, and a, a, a relevant IFA summer scheme is between um, 40 and 45 pounds a week. Um, we've also um, we're also aware of, of um, get into golf programs that are predominantly focused on um, women and children and, and the um, and the, the, the um, summer game. And there are particular women's events which Royal County Down have actually been um, sponsoring and, and, and have been promoting, given again, Sport and I is a very clear focus on widening participation um, across all sports for women. And we've seen a predominant growth um, from women in, um, in in golf in particular over the last um, number of years. It's up, in fact, female participation in golf in Northern Ireland is up 21% since 2016. So I do recognise, um, and um, I do recognise Matthew um, in terms of the green fees, and that £270 is um, by far um, outside a lot of uh, outside a lot of pockets. But there is also um, extensive widened participation work um, there, not just there, but around a range of golf clubs. And one of the legacy um, partnership programmes, which D4C and Sport and I worked in partnership on, was that widened participation legacy. Um, arising from um, arising from the open this year. Thank I, I, you. I, I, will I, I mean, I don't. Disp I, I am. I, I very much enjoy and, and think that the, the game of golf is, is great and should be widened for participation to younger people and particularly people who are from um, perhaps less advantaged backgrounds in cities. I think it's it's uh, it's great. Northern Ireland has great golf courses. I'm afraid I'm unconvinced that this um, scheme has been that, that, that enough. Uh, um, uh, conditionality has been attached to this in terms of widening access, and I, I think some more thought would need to go into um, connecting the uh, elite level tour, you know, elite tourism with um, actual widening access here, because I'm not convinced that that connection has been proven. Thank okay. you, uh, Ms. Flynn. Um, yep. Thanks very much, Chair, and um, thanks to. Tracy and um, Antoinette for your um, all of your feedback and your answers thus far. Uh, maybe just to bring it back to it was one of the, the questions that Cher had asked earlier um, around the breakdown of the clubs that had um, received the, the different amounts of, of funding from from the scheme. And I think it was Ian had come in and had mentioned yeah mentioned some of the figures there Ian around it was the hundred and eighty. GAA clubs and 77 football clubs and, and then you have the cricket clubs and boxing, swimming and, and all the rest. So um, I think, you know, even when you listen to that breakdown, it, it does actually give you a good sense of how many clubs actually benefited from right across the sports sector. And I'm sure that many of them, if not all of them, you know, on, on varying levels um, were experiencing um, some form of financial um, hardship, like like many other sections of, of society, um, at the time, obviously due to the the pandemic. Um, but I'm I'm just wondering when when the scheme was launched, what process did the department carry out in working alongside the governing bodies to ensure that the scheme was communicated to those grassroots and smaller localised clubs? Um, so um, I'll start and obviously pass on to Antoinette, but um, 
the minister and the department engaged regularly with representatives from the sports sector, including um, the sports forum, the governing bodies, um, right, right throughout this period. Um, and SNI, you know, sports and I hosted a, a, a number of pre-launch engagement sessions with the sectors, and I'll, I'll pass on to Antoinette to, to, um, to, to give you some more detail of the range of um, uh, events that they held. I should say a key part of the scheme was that the, the role of the governing bodies. Um, it was felt that the governing bodies um, were best placed to reach out to uh, grassroots organisations. Uh, Antoinette. Um, thank you, um, Tracy. Um, yeah, the, the Minister and Department uh, engaged regularly with representatives from the sports sector up um, to the recognition that uh, money beyond the Sports Hardship Fund, which was very immediate and very welcomed, but we knew that uh, as COVID restrictions continued, that more, that more was needed. Um, the Minister formally launched the scheme with a press release. Um, we actually, we made, Sport and I made a video to ensure that we were uh, a really um, user-friendly, um, plain, plain language video to make sure that it was understood and we shared it on social media. We had extensive, um, we had extensive engagement across the social media um, platforms. We hosted a, a pre-launch engagement um, number of sessions with the with the sector, really, really well attended by over 80 sports. Um, we facilitated um, five online workshops, as Ian had said earlier, um, during January and uh, during December and January, just to make sure that um, particularly those lower capacity um, lower capacity governing bodies and clubs as as the chair um, referred to earlier and um, actually we're getting the support um, that we needed we also as tracy said we were engaging directly um, and supporting governing bodies who were themselves engaging directly with their clubs um, and many did exceptionally well in that communication and um, d4c also published details of the scheme on its own website and in northern ireland um, direct we created a dedicated email support um, contact um, address. We remained on call throughout Christmas and the New Year, and staff worked. Um, it would be remiss of me not to actually recognise um, Sport and I staff who actually worked um, late into the evening. They worked weekends. They worked over Christmas and over the New Year period, um, and they stepped up and stepped up again. Um, we responded to the sector's request to extend the closing date from the 5th of January to the 20th. We recognised that was closing the, the gap between um, be, being able to make the decisions, but we recognised we were able to do that. We didn't want to adversely impact um, on our commitment to commence payments by the end of February, but we recognised that some of those smaller governing bodies um, and, and clubs um, needed that extra time. And, um, the governing bodies, we encouraged and supported them to hold their own support sessions with their grassroots clubs, and I know that many of them did. Thank you. And so, I mean, clearly there was a lot of ground covered there with, um, you know, just that whole process of communication. And as I had said in the opening remarks, you can you can sort of get a sense of that when when you see that breakdown of how many clubs did benefit from it. Um, and, and as you says as well, Antoinette, just you know, obviously the amount of work that was put in by you know your own team and, and your own staff over over a difficult period um, has to be appreciated. Um, I'm just wondering as well, then, because it has been spoke about some of the different breakdowns of the amount of money that went to different clubs, and we've heard about some of the the bigger golf clubs and some of the money that they received in the scheme. And I'm just wondering, would any of you have um, you know like breakdown of what the average payment 
would have been that was made to you know like for example a typical GAA club or, or boxing club because um, I know we're talking about the, the, the bigger figures but have you worked out what the, the average payment would have been in, in those sort of those different sectors and when, when the clubs were receiving those payments um, in what way would they have been expected to utilize those those grants was that direction sort of set out specifically for them I'll start off and Antoinette you come in is that okay so um, over 95% of the offers and 56% by value went to non-elite sport um, and 23% um, of the awards were under 10,000 and 82% were under 50,000. Um, I think the average then would be around about what, about 30,000 would have then in, 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 in that. Um, and um, obviously the, there was also the Sports Hardship Fund that was in, a, in advance of this as well, which went to um, another 913 people. Um, there would have been a range of things that you know, that they would have needed. It really depended whether they had infrastructure or not, or they had rent to pay, did they have heating, did they have insurance. Um, 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 for example, um, netball, um, you know, we, we've got some testimonials uh, from various clubs. Um, you know, it was it was actually stopping people having to be made redundant or stopping people going to furlough, so that so that they, they could continue to work with their communities. Um, and I do think, you know, when I looked at some of the testimonials that came back afterwards, mm. uh, you know, a lot of those clubs said this had been an absolute lifeline for them. Uh, Antoinette, did you have anything to add? Yeah, um, just to say that um, our our grant awards were given directly to the. Um, governing body of sport to then distribute um, we actually listed very clearly for all of the clubs associated with that governing body of sport we actually listed um, what each club was was due to get we were clear with the governing bodies of sport that they were not um, allowed to put on any additional terms and conditions other than those set by sport ni and clearly the terms and conditions set out um, the purpose for which the money um, was given and also that in the event of any duplicate funding or any inaccuracies inadvertently provided to us, our, our, our post-payment due diligence um, checks um, would pick those up. And I would just also concur with, with Tracy. Um, just this week, um, we've had Ulster Rugby confirming um, to us that um, whilst they continue to have challenges, um, the sports sustainability funding was absolutely um, critical to them and they could not have survived without it. And um, Swim Ulster, another, uh, just looking at the diversity of the sector, mm -hmm. um, Swim Ulster had, had advised us that actually at the point at which uh, we provided awards to their individual clubs as they were ringing one of their clubs to confirm that um, the, the awards, um, one particular club member had said that they were actually convening a meeting and that evening with a view to close and to lay off um, a coach so we do recognise um, right across the piece that there was, um, there was a need for this funding and it has certainly sustained itself, as the Northern Ireland Audit Office report recognises. Yeah, and th thanks for that, um, Antoinette and, and Tracy. And I think that um, you are right, that probably is one of the, you know, one of the, the big things that, that come out of the report as well, just around, you had actually used the terminology there, Tracy, around that, the, you know, a lot of these funds um, were almost a lifeline to, to some of the clubs that we're, we're talking about and you know and I'm just even thinking locally of you know some of our own local clubs that work with you know young people and families and you know all the great work that, that, that they do and 
I know throughout the pandemic, um, I think it's fair to say that all of the, the, the parties and the executive became champions um, in terms of, you know, like people's mental health and worrying about the post pandemic, you know, we're, we're still worried about it because, you know, we're still not 100% there yet. But I know that one of the big, um, you know, issues for, for all of us was the unexpected impact, um, you know, of, of how um, the, the, the COVID um, pandemic would have on people's mental health. And then when I think about, you know, the whole sporting sector and all the sporting families and all our local communities, that is really, you know, for me, that will be a, a big, big, um, that will make a big, big difference in terms of how people emerge out of what's been a really, really difficult um, year and a half. So I think that that does need to be recognised. And um, I suppose just listening to, you know, some of the previous questions and answers, um, it's come up a few times just around the pace that you've had to roll the scheme out on and yes you were time limited like a lot of the other schemes were so you were working I suppose everyone's been working in, in an unusual and a different environment as to what you would do normally um, and I, I just scrolled down a couple of notes um, I think it was Antoinette you had mentioned that if when issues um, when concerns were arising um, and were being identified, maybe not concerns, but whenever you were looking at the breakdown of you know the different schemes and grants, um, and you were being almost faced with the scenario that right, what do we do here? You know, um, and you had mentioned then the possibility of legal challenge. So I think you did you did say earlier that if if you tried to maybe modify or change the scheme at, at a certain point in time, if you had faced a legal challenge that the overall scheme might have collapsed. And what my, my final, I suppose, question to, to, to the panel is, um, and I know that, uh, that all of this that we're dealing with is now in hindsight, but if if the scheme had have collapsed, just based on your most recent comments there around this being a lifeline for, for a lot of clubs, um, you know, could we have been in the scenario that a lot of these clubs or some of these clubs may have faced um, closure and and mightn't be here today if it wasn't for scheme um, progressing in the end. Um, I'm I'm happy to take this. Um, yeah, what what I would say is that um, you know as 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 said earlier, and um, if if we had if, if our board had taken an arbitrary decision, for example, to not fund Royal County Down because and and the board in fact did discuss that it was likely. Maybe attention, but um, but to not fund them because simply you don't like the look of a particular award to an individual club who's met all of the criteria. Um, our legal advice um, is that that could we could have faced litigation, um, and had we faced litigation, we uh, our, our cautious legal advice um, would have been to stall um, Well, given that we were taking those decisions throughout um, February. And early March, um, then it's likely that the scheme um, would not have gone ahead before the end of March. It was year-end sensitive, um, obviously, but we, we, I, I am clear as accounting officer um, that there was evidence need for that um, for that twenty-three million pounds, and we would have put the entire sports sector at risk. I would also say that 
um, not just in putting the sports sector at risk, we would have put the recovery, recovery of, of Northern Ireland's communities at risk because we have recognised that the, the, the second pandemic wave um, from COVID has been the mental health and wellbeing, and, and we have seen horrendous statistics um, coming out, particularly for children and young people, um, in respect of, of their anxiety levels increasing as a direct result of COVID. Um, what I would want to say is that the sports sector has been incredibly active in respect of um, the mental health and wellbeing, and Sport and I um, does have a partnership with the public health, um, the public health agency in respect of mental health and wellbeing. We were due to launch a new resource um, by the end of June last year, but actually when COVID hit, we, we um, brought that forward um, and we um, we released that early um, April. We put it online as a resource. We didn't just offer that to the sports sector. We offered that to every single person in Northern Ireland and it has been incredibly well used and really successful in getting signposting information um, out right across Northern Ireland. We've also brought um, we've also brought forward additional um, capacity for mental health and wellbeing within our Build Back Better program. That is our separate lottery COVID um, program, and it's actually training coaches, volunteers, um, officials, committee members, um, and, and 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 parents in terms of mental health awareness and where to signpost and um, throughout this. And there's been um, a lot of other um, a lot of other resources, capacity building resources that have been identified. So um, I, I, look, I, I would say that, I mean, and of course I would as executive sport and I, but we are very proud of what the sports sector has actually delivered um, during COVID-19. The, um, the volunteer that, that it made. Also, um, as Tracy has said, the vast majority of the, the majority of the money has gone to grassroots organisations, and I would argue um, that, for example, the um, NIFL um, funding um, to NIFL clubs, we, we didn't include in the grassroots organisation, but I'm declaring an interest here as a Glenavon fan. I would say that um, that club is at the heart of local communities, and I have no doubt that Balmain, Alarne, Cliftonville, um, many of those other clubs would actually um, say the same, and that sports clubs are our local communities. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Okay, Mr. Boylan. Thanks, Chair, for the welcome, panel. And it's good to see you again. It's been it's been a while. Um, just Tracy, just want to go back to that because unfortunately, Chair, the, the, my signal was breaking up there. Tracy, in relation to the ministerial direction, could you go over that again? Because as you were as you were explaining, it started to break up, and I couldn't really get a full full hearing of it. I apologise. I apologise that actually I had my I didn't realise I had my camera turned off there for a while when I was turning this. So apologies for that. Um, in terms of the ministerial direction, um, a ministerial direction is normally given whenever um, an accounting officer gives advice to a minister, and the minister continues with a with a with a course of action, which is contrary to that advice. And normally the reason for that is it, it could be that the the accounting officer says it's not value for money, or that the spend is novel and contentious. Um, in, in this particular case, um, I believe that we were able to deliver a proportionate level of due diligence um, to develop and deliver a scheme uh, within normal uh, managing public money rules, uh, and therefore I didn't feel that uh, I needed to seek a ministerial direction um, from, from my minister on, on this scheme. Thank you. I just, you know, just yourself, I mean, I know you said, um, I think it was 180 clubs. I mean, 
I think there's over 412, there, there comes 600 in the whole of Ulster in terms of GA clubs, but in terms of the North, I think there's over 400. You see, see the way on that you were saying there about it, you dealt with the governing bodies and you were trying to get the money down. That's the way you use it down to the grassroots. I mean, specifically, was it only 180 or did others, did others receive monies in, in relation to that? Because I know there's, there must be at least 400 at least clubs and GA clubs. Um, yes, um, um, thank you, Cahill. Just to, to clarify, um, there were um, 430 clubs actually benefited from the um, benefited from the Sports Hardship Fund. Um, the chair had asked us for a breakdown among the different um, the, the different um, clubs, and so Gaelic ga um, Games did get. And Gaelic Games, when we say that, includes. Um, Includes um, women's football and um, camogie as well, and there were 180 there across those three governing bodies, and uh, and 77 for IFA, 26 for rugby clubs, um, 25 golf clubs, and then there was a remaining um, of 122 um, sports clubs across um, all, all of our other governing um, bodies, but um, 22 governing bodies of sport um, and um, 430 clubs benefited. From, um, from the Sports Sustainability Fund, in addition to 915 clubs also benefiting from the Sports Hardship Fund. Just in terms of, in terms of the, the overall scheme, and I know that Sports NI working with the sports sector and designed the scheme, in terms of the overall success in, in tackling and mitigating the losses and preparing the clubs to get up and going again, I mean, how, how do you... Uh, view the success of the scheme itself in general, and and be in mind what some of the members already asked in terms of the golf club and everything else. How, how would you view the, the success of the scheme? Well, I suppose I would say rather than how sport and I or how and I view it, um, I, the the Northern Ireland Audit Office report has recognised that the scheme was successful. Um, in getting money out uh, to um, the sports sector at a very short period of time, and that um, it, that the funding given out aligned with um, aligned with the um, with, with due diligence, I would say uh, undoubtedly we have a more sustained, more resilient um, sports sector as a result of that investment um, of funding and. I basically, I really want to put on record um, Sport and I on behalf of the sports sector um, our, our relief and our thanks um, to the Northern Ireland Executive for actually providing, providing this funding for everyone to benefit, not just um, sport. What I would also say is that um, we're not out of the woods yet. Significant restrictions continue. And Tracy has already referred to ongoing losses that are forecast this year in the sports sector, and um, but we've certainly seen a much more resilient sector than we would have been. No, and appreciate it. I, I asked that question in the context of, I mean, sports NA is working right across the board in terms of all those clubs, and, and you said it earlier. The us who have been part of the GA and follow the GA, it's, it's not just about the sport; it's the contribution to the community, and that's the key element here. And I mean. Well, throughout this whole pandemic, they, they have been leaders in it all. And I mean, whilst, whilst they've played for a bit of fun here, they, they've carried out a lot of other work outside of what their normal duty would be in terms of rolling out sports, mental health and all those things. And, and it's appreciated in that context and they asked the question because, because I mean, that's a key element. And I'm glad the Audit Office report does recognise some of those things that come out 
but but my, my final question is obviously would be the key lessons because I know I know we're rolled out all the schemes are rolled out in a hurry and, and everybody was reacting to the pandemic and trying to support business and sports and music and right across the board and society in general and my final question would be what lessons you know can we learn from it in, in terms of yourselves and, and rolling out schemes in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. I'll pick that one up. Um, I suppose lessons we need to look at what has worked well, but also what we do, you know, perhaps potentially we could do differently. So, um, what has worked well, and not just in the sports fund, but across a range of funding, has been uh, the co design and the partnership. Um, working closely with sectors to understand their needs at speed, um, and this particular one, you know, working with the governing bodies to take a key role. We, we, I don't think the scheme could have been delivered in the time frame without that role. The partnership between um, the department and, in this case, Sport and I, but in, in other cases with the voluntary community sector, with the councils in terms of getting schemes out, those have been. Um, absolutely key to our response, and, and as I said at the start, I am, uh, you know, I'm very proud of DFC staff, but we just could not have done that without our partners. In terms of, I suppose, uh, lessons learned, um, there's no doubt that, uh, and I've said this several times, if we'd had more time, um, definitely modelling the scheme would have actually given us more insights beforehand. Um, um, the, the other thing is, for me, um, I think that uh, that if, if there had been a, a statement of additionality in the actual application uh, form, um, that would have, you know, given I think more comfort to everybody. Um, looking at the net losses, and then, and we couldn't have done that. I don't believe in the time frame for all of the uh, awards, you know, 430. But perhaps we could have said for the larger awards, um, some sort of a statement about what you know what what the need was and and what that would leverage. Um, would be some of the things, the lessons that, that, that I would take out of it. Um, okay, thank you. Mr Muir, very briefly. Yeah, it's just reviewing the audit office report and doing some research around this. Um, golf clubs come in very different sizes and organisation uh, types, but the significant proportion or, uh, or minority perhaps is our commercial entities who make uh, surpluses and uh, are able to operate like businesses. And in England, during COVID-19, whilst there was financial support, it was rather limited, and there was a desire on behalf of government for those businesses and organisations to seek support in the forum like other businesses did in terms of loans and borrowings. Why was that not considered in the case of some of the clubs which we have been, or particularly in terms of Royal County Downs, particularly today, as the way to support the, these organisations? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll come in on that to start with. So, um, in the business case, in the original business case, there was um, a list of um, seven, seven long list of options, and one of those um, was to look at um, uh, loans. Um, there, are, there are a number of issues with, with that for us. Um, first of all, uh, actually, there's very little experience of giving out loans. Um, loans, it, it, it's a much more complex process to put in place. Um, and we didn't believe that we could actually deliver a scheme based on, on loans um, um, in, the, in the time frame uh, available. Uh, for the vast majority of, I think, the people or clubs that receive funding, um, the question is what, whether they could have borne a loan. Um, but certainly, um, yeah, I, can, I can understand that. So, some, for example, I, I know that some of the golf clubs now are, um, are having to, to, are taking out loans on top of their, you know, 
on top of the the, the funding they've got because um, they, they, because of the operating environment there, they're having they're having to take loans, but they're managing to get loans uh, from the bank. But um, no, we we couldn't have delivered a a, a scheme with loans um, in the time frame. Yeah, and I acknowledge that you couldn't have delivered a scheme, but um, within my constituency and within Northern Ireland, I know n numerous businesses who have been reopening out of the restrictions uh, with uh, loans from commercial banks, and that's what they've had to do, and that's how they're going forward, and, and that's how they managed to get through the COVID-19 pandemic. So, in terms of like, which we talked here in terms of Royal County Down, you know, uh, you're talking about things that they need to invest in terms of their future, but. Why, why was that not considered that this should be an avenue that they should have explored rather than the state essentially grant funding their business development? I, I, th I think that uh, if we'd had an additionality statement in the application form um, to ask them, um, for example, what they would do with the money and what other sources of finance they'd looking at. But A very helpful golf clubs, or, or at least one of them. Sorry, I should say. I'm aware that one of the golf clubs that, that has been mentioned in the media is, is having to take out a commercial loans at the moment uh, from banks um, to actually uh, to address its um, its losses. So yeah, you're right. Uh, obviously, um, you know where, where where it's possible, um, loan funding um, can can support can support these uh, these clubs. Thank you, Chair. I promise to be brief. So it's okay. Very brief on thank you, Chair, for letting me in. Has also promised to be brief. I will be uh, uncharacteristically so. I'm going to follow up, if I may, um, Tracy, on that last <coughs> point about uh, funding. Was any consideration given, and should it have been, to using uh, financial transactions capital, which we have a challenge in getting out the door here every year? Uh, would would it have been possible, do you think, to have uh, used some of that to enable uh, Royal County Down, for example, to invest in their irrigation scheme uh, yeah I mean when we when we considered that option around loans FTC was one of the one things that was considered but it was deemed that it couldn't be delivered in the time frame um, also with the FTC it would have yeah, well, we, we couldn't have done it in the time frame obviously we're exploring every avenue to use FTC within the department um, but on this occasion it, it wasn't we didn't deem it to be to be possible Okay. okay, thank you very much. Uh, I think that's all of the members who indicated they wished to speak um, who have had that opportunity. Um, and I thank those um, from our perspective as members for their attendance. Before we bring this session to an end, Mr Donnelly, Ms O'Hagan or Mr Stevenson, have any questions or comments to wish to make? Uh, no. Mr Stevenson? No issues from a DFP perspective. Chair. Okay. Okay. Can I just make a couple of points, if I may, before I let you all go? Um, I have to say I do have concern, having listened to the um, evidence given today, around modelling, around capacity, and around distribution. Uh, and if it would be possible to get um, the figures in terms of the the four hundred and. Uh, 30 clubs or whatever and the 22 governing bodies and the distributions of that 23 million pounds i think that would be helpful to the committee if that could be provided uh, over the summer recess please uh, and would it also be possible then in terms of getting the same breakdown for the sports hardship fund if that would be possible yeah. okay 
Luke, thank you very much um, indeed, all of you, for your uh, contributions this afternoon. And I hope you all have a, an enjoyable summer. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chair. Okay. <clears throat> okay, members. So um, I think now we'll go into closed session. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber Programme Sound. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate.